saints and, and guests. Uh, I hope each of you are uh, doing well this morning. Thank you for for joining us uh, in person or online today. You know, your presence is is appreciated. So thank y'all so much for for being here. Pastor, uh, pastor and author Rich Vilados says the Sermon on the Mount was not given to show our inability to live it out and trust God. It was given so that we could trust God and live it out. There's a difference. And he is so right. The Sermon on the Mount is, is gospel. It's not law, nor does it add to the law. It actually provides kingdom convictions that lead to human wholeness human flourishing according to the way of Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is really grace. It's grace. And this grace concludes today in, in Matthew 7 verses 13 through 29. The sermon title today is You Better Watch Yourself Part 2. The main idea is the way of wholeness leads to a different destination than the way way of wholeness leads to a different destination than the way of incompleteness. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the word, I pray that you will take what is said here and apply it our minds and apply it to our hearts and, and also apply it to our life. We cannot do any of that apart from you. We can do nothing apart from you working in and through us. So Spirit, we are dependent upon you if we are to grow in faith, if we are to um, trust Jesus in hard places. There's, there's nothing we can't do those things if you're not working and you're moving so Holy Spirit bring us to the end of ourselves bring us to the end of, of, of our goodness bring us to the end of trusting in our resources bring us to an end of, of thinking that we gotta have it all together bring us to the end of ourselves so at that end we can meet Christ to me so Holy Spirit, do this for the glory of our God and King and for our good. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. The way of wholeness leads to a different destination than the way of incompleteness. There, there, there are two ways in which you can live life, a way of wholeness or one of incompleteness. And these are two, these two ways are opposite journeys that lead you to different destinations. And, and Jesus elaborates on these two ways with, with three exhortations to his people. And these are really three you better watch yourself warnings. Three you better watch yourself warnings. Are y'all ready to watch? Are y'all ready to listen? 
Are you ready to receive? Are you ready to submit to the truth? The first you better watch yourself is given in verse 13a. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Y'all enter by the narrow gate. This is a warning to enter by a gate that's restricted, tight, and exclusive. It's a warning to enter by the narrow gate as opposed to the wide gate. But why? Why this warning, Christ? He gives us, uh, he gives the reason for this warning in verse 13b and 14. He introduces the, the reason by contrasting two kinds of travelers who are on opposite journeys. Two kinds of travelers who are on opposite journeys. You see, the first traveler enters through the wide gate and, and travels an easy and broad journey. The wide gate and the easy journey, they, they, represent, they represent what Jesus says back in Matthew 5, verse 17. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. One seminary professor says the broad and easy way is the way of the Pharisees whose righteousness is easy and definable and can be gridded out solely at the external level, not committing adultery, not muttering, and so on. The first traveler is self-sufficient, okay? Self-sufficient. It's a self-sufficient traveler, and the wide gate represents self. Self is the gate for the self-sufficient traveler. This is self-centeredness, this is self-righteousness, this is self-rule and and self-indulgence. And the easy and broad journey represents this traveler's own merits, own goodness, own successes and achievements and and independence and and rebellion against God and so on. So the self-sufficient traveler lives with himself or herself at the center. These travelers do what is right in their own eyes. They do what is fit for them. They are the masters of their own life, and they live according to their own standards, pleasures, and agendas. And in doing so, they reject Christ. They reject Christ. I guess I need to pull out my amen sign. I just dusted off now that I got my big pulpit back. I can set it right here. In his book, The Way of Kings, Brandon Sanderson writes, And so does the destination matter, or is it the path that we take? I declare no accomplishment has substance merely as great as the road used to achieve it. We are not creatures of destination. It is the journey that shapes us. Self-sufficient travelers, they are being shaped by the easy and broad journey. It is shaping them. It feeds their independence from God. That's what it does. Because remember who, the, who, who this traveler is. It's a self-sufficient traveler. This traveler is traveling a journey that's all about self. And it leads that person farther and farther away from God. It massages his unbelief. 
caters to their selfishness and self-importance. It, it excites them. This journey excites the travelers because it makes no demands on the traveler's life. Because the traveler is in control. The traveler is the king. The traveler is the boss. Paves his own way. And in fact, if, if he doesn't like one way, he can just create another road. I'll go this way. This journey, this easy and broad journey, it deceives these travelers by their own self-importance and by their own self-righteousness. This easy and broad and comfortable journey is the way of incompleteness. That's the way. And this way of incompleteness is leading these self-sufficient travelers somewhere. They're on a journey to a certain place, to a final destination. And it's not the destination they thought it would be. It's not. The way of incompleteness seems right to them, but it's not. You see, the destination is destruction. It is death. It is the final judgment. Look at verse 13 with me. Christ says, in about a narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Are y'all self-sufficient travelers this morning? Where are you? Who are you? In Matthew 16, Christ asks each of you a question. And here's the question. For what will it profit you if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your very soul? Think about that. Think about it. Because the self-sufficient traveler, he wants the whole world. She wants the whole world. That's what she lives for. So what will it profit, y'all, if you gain every worldly pleasure, dream, and treasure, but in the end of your life, you forfeit your very soul along the way? There's, there's no profit in that. If in the end of your life, you lose your soul, self-sufficient travelers lose their souls at the end of their journey. That's what Christ is talking about. They lose it, even though they live their life trying to hold on to it. They end up losing it in the end anyway. But there's a different way, saints, guests, beloveds. There's a different way. It's a way of wholeness. I call the travelers on, on this particular journey self-insufficient travelers. Self-insufficient travelers. She, this is, this, she's the second type of traveler that Christ talks about in verses 3, 13, and 14. These travelers enter through the narrow gate, and they travel a hard and difficult journey, which is opposite to the self-sufficient traveler. Do you see the contrast that between the two? Different travelers, different journeys, different destinations, different gates. Unlike the wide gate, the narrow gate represents Christ, period. It ain't Christ plus plus. It's Christ, period. He says in verse 14, Christ says in verse 14, how narrow is this gate? It's tight. It is slim. 
It is restricted. You see, it is hard and difficult. The hard and difficult journey represents Christ's merits and righteousness, not your own. Not your own. You see, the gate is narrow because all travelers are asked to embrace self-denial, to embrace self-insufficiency. You can't enter through Jesus and yourself. You have to pick a gate. So pick one. The hard journey, this journey is hard because all travelers are asked to deny their external righteousness, their goodness, their merits, their good deeds, and their own morality. And they're asked to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And there's only one kind of righteousness that does that. And you should know what it is. It's the righteousness of Christ. That's the only kind of righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And Christ freely gives his own righteousness to people who receive him in faith. He takes the word of sin debt and he gives you his righteous credit. Without that, you cannot get into the kingdom of glory. Romans 3, 20, Romans 3, verses 21 and 22 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Do you believe? Or are you just pretending? Like the self-sufficient traveler, the self-insufficient traveler is also being shaped by the hard and difficult journey. The, the shaping, the shaping is a work of God's grace that changes the traveler more and more into the image of Christ. This, this work of God's grace is, 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 is being done in the traveler by the Holy Spirit. This work of grace is, is what Christian theologians call sanctification. And if you know the journey of sanctification is hard and difficult. Because it's moving you away from self and bringing you more and more close to Jesus. You see, your whole being is being transformed on a hard and difficult journey. The journey progressively brings you to an end of yourself. The end of self-rule. The end of self-glorification, the end of self-righteousness, and the end of self-worship. The hard and difficult journey, it changes your passions, your desires, your dreams, your treasures, and your commitments. It draws you closer and closer to the heart of Christ. It brings you to a place where you love what Jesus loves, and you love who he loves. That is what's happening to us, you, on the hard and difficult journey. Remember, the easy road may still demands upon you, but the hard and difficult journey does. It means you're learning to live under the Lordship of Christ. He can't be your Savior and not be your Lord also. You don't get to pick and choose. It's all-inclusive. I die for your sins. And when you come to faith in me, now own your whole life and everything in it belongs to me. That is Jesus. The hard and difficult journey is the way of wholeness. And the way of wholeness is leading insufficient travelers somewhere. 
They're also on a journey to a, a certain place and, and a final destination. And the destination is eternal life, everlasting life. Look at verse 14. Christ says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard at least to life. And those who find it are few. Are few. The narrow gates and, and the hard journey are leading self-insufficient travels to everlasting life within God's kingdom. In God's kingdom. And their wonderful and, and good final destination is made possible because of the life and death and resurrection of Christ. He has paved the road for you. And please notice, on your journey, on this journey of holiness, you're walking in Christ's footsteps. That's already been put there for you. That's what you're doing on the journey because he's already walked it for you. He's already walked it for you. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you don't need to go to the Greek to understand what he's saying there. If you don't come through me, you don't come in. I am the only way. I am the way in. I am the gate to the Father's heart. You don't get in apart from me. Peter says in Acts 4.2, And there is salvation in no one else. For, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus' hands are extending out to each of you if you don't know him. He's offering you life, everlasting life. Not a comfortable life, not an easy life, but everlasting life. Take hold of his hands in faith. Trust in his life and his death and his resurrection for your salvation and for your peace with God. Trust him. Kaladin, a surgeon turned warrior, is my favorite character in the fantasy book, The Way of Kings. Yeah, you're going to hear a lot about this series, trust me. Because, I man, I connect to this brother's story. I imagine that I'm actually him, and so in the story. And so his journey is filled with gladness and grief, all at the same, coexisting at the same time. Joy and pain, great victories and great losses. And, and, and in the story, Kalanick ends up volunteering for the military after his, after his younger brother is drafted to serve. And he serves under a general and high marshal that he grows to respect, trust, and admire. He even saves this general's life in one battle. But that didn't stop the general from betraying him. Branding him a slave and selling him into slavery. And with tears dripping from his chin, Kaladin says to this general, you're supposed to be better than the others. This betrayal wounds Kaladin deeply, and it creates in him a, a great distrust of people in power. And later in the book, he says this, how easy it is to ignore a blackened heart if you dress it in a fresh uniform and a reputation of honesty. Take his words to heart. How easy it is to ignore a blackened heart if you dress it up in nice clothes 
a nice uniform, looks pressed, and the person has a reputation of honesty. doesn't mean they're actually honest. They have the reputation of honesty. The second you better watch yourself warning from Christ relates to these words spoken by Calvin, my hero. The warning deals with people in position of power and authority and leadership and influence who are one way externally and another way internally. Look at verse 13. Christ says, beware of false teachers. Y'all beware of false teachers. Y'all be on the lookout for false teachers. Y'all stay away from false prophets. For us in our culture, false prophets represent religious leaders, Spiritual leaders, church leaders, ministry leaders, preachers, teachers, evangelists, elders, deacons, bishops, and theologians who are not true leaders of Christ. They're not true leaders of Christ. And these false teachers, they come to you. They'll come to your church, your ministry. They'll enter into your social media feed. They'll walk into your space. They'll set up shop in your community. And it's often hard to identify them because they're gifted. They have charisma. They have the it factor. Can preach and teach messages and sermons and books and blog posts and podcasts appear to be filled with God's truth. They can grow churches and ministry. They can plant churches. They serve as ministry leaders. They lead Bible studies. They speak at conferences and retreats. They even appear to have a servant's heart. In the, spirit, in the heart of service. They even appear to be humble. And Christ tells us why it's hard to identify them. He says, because publicly you see a sheep, but privately they're wolves. What you see in public is a sheep, but in private they're wolves. Christ says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they're wolves. These wolves in sheep clothing, they have all the right stuff externally, but internally they have some serious character flaws. They say all the right things, but their life isn't consistent with what they profess. And eventually their real and true identity will be made known. Christ makes this clear in verse 16 with a bold statement and a rhetorical question. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? The obvious answer is no. Grapes come from a grapevine, not thorn bushes. Figs come from a fig plant, not thistles. And similarly, false Christian leaders would eventually produce fruit according to who they really are. All you got to do is watch. The Message Bible says, don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. Not what they say. To elaborate on this point, Jesus makes a clear distinction between false Christian leaders and true Christian leaders. He uses a metaphor that his disciples and and the crowd can understand and relate to. He says false Christian leaders are like diseased trees that can only bear bad fruit, rotten fruit. And their fruit is how they truly live their life. It's their lifestyle. As one Christian theologian says, here the thought is not that it's not the outward appearance that is important, but the thing the false teachers do, the produce of their matter of thought and life, that's what's important. 
and what they produce is bad because the tree is diseased. It's diseased because it has not come to Jesus to be healed. Okay? That's why it's diseased. And as a result, every diseased tree is cut down and thrown into the fire. And that, beloved, again, is final judgment. The way of incompleteness leads to final judgment. But now the true Christian leader won't meet such a final destination because faith in Jesus Christ makes them healthy trees. Okay? Because there used to be diseased trees until they come to, came to Jesus. He made them healthy. He made them healthy through their faith in him. And they only bear good fruit now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 17 through 20 with me. So every, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you shall recognize them by their fruits. That is Christ's word, not my word. In verses 21 through 23, our Savior moves away from talking about what these false Christian leaders do to talking about what they're going to say to him on the last day. They're going to come to him recounting all of their religious and ministry resume. They're going to tell him, this is what I've done for you. They're going to remind Jesus of all the good things they did in his name. Christ will listen to them, but in the end, he shall disappoint them. Because, please hear this, religious and ministry, your religious and ministry resume isn't good enough to get you in the kingdom of God. It ain't. We all keep track of the good things we do for the kingdom. But please know, that ain't why you get in. That's not why you're accepted. That's not why you are saved. You see, working for God and knowing God are not the same thing. These false Christian leaders, they work for him, but they don't know him. They don't know Jesus in faith, and Jesus doesn't know them as his disciples and people. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many would say to me, Lord, Lord, they would not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many works in your name. And then I shall declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That stings a little bit. The true Christian leaders. True Christian leaders are the ones who actually do the will of God, not the false Christian leaders. So the question you should be asking yourself now is, well, what is the will of God in this context? Christ tells us what that will is in John 6, verse, verse 30. Listen to what Christ says. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's God's will for you. To believe in Jesus. To trust Jesus for your salvation. Jesus wants you to know him personally and relationally through faith. Do you know him? Or do you, or, or, or do you just work for him? 
even as even if you've been a Christian for a long time. Do you are you growing and knowing Jesus or all you do is just work for him? Where are you in your walk? With the Savior who loves you. The story of the three little pigs is one of the all time favorite Christian stories. And as y'all know, the story is about three brothers who build three types of houses, three different types of houses. One pig builds, builds a house of straw, while his brother builds a house with sticks. But the third brother, he builds his house with bricks. And all is good until the big bad wolf comes walking down the lane. And soon the big bad wolf, he sees the straw house, and he smells the little pig inside. So the, so the big bad wolf walks up to the straw house. He, he knocks on the door. Little pig, little pig. Let me in. Let me in. The first little Okay, so as I was saying, the little pig looks through the keyhole and he sees the big bad wolf. And he says to the big bad wolf, no, 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 not by the hairs of my chinny-chin tail. Then the wolf says, then I'll huff and, and I'll puff and, and I'll blow your house down. He blows it down. And the little pig gets away and then he runs to his brother's house, the, the house that's made of sticks. He thinks he's safe there. But that house suffers the same fate as the straw house. The big bad wolf blows it down. And then the two pigs run away and, and they go to their, to their brother's house, a house that is made of bricks. And, and the brick house doesn't suffer the same fate as the other two houses. No matter how hard the wolf blows, the house doesn't fall down. It survives the storm of the wolf because it was made of brick and with a good foundation. The founder, you better watch yourself warning, is similar to this little short story. Christ illustrates this warning by contrasting two types of builders who build different houses on different foundations. He calls one builder wise and the other builder foolish. The foolish builder is like the first two pigs in our story. He builds his house on a weak foundation that cannot stand up against powerful storms. The storm huffs. It puffs, and eventually it blows down the foolish builder's house. But now the wise builder, he's like the third of the pig. He builds his house on a strong foundation that can withstand the powerful winds of a storm. The storm can huff, it can puff, but the storm does not blow down the wise builder's house because it's built on a firm foundation, saints. The wise builder and the foolish builder, they, they represent people who have different responses to Jesus and to what Jesus says. The wise builder hears the words of Christ but does not apply them to his life, doesn't live them out. Jesus' words enters, to, enters in through one ear and exit out the other. The foolish builder just is a hearer of God's word. He hears it, but he doesn't order his life under it. 
He doesn't practice the word. The word is not the standard by which he measures his life. And as a result, his life cannot stand up against the storms and the pressures of life. And nor can it stand up against God's final judgment. In the end, his life actually does not flourish in the end. Look at verse 26 and 27. Jesus says, Christ says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them would be like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Great was the fall of it. But the wise builder hears the words of Christ and strives to practice the words of Christ because she is a genuine believer. The Holy Spirit lives in her. She knows Jesus in faith as she follows him. Let me put it this way. She knows Christ through faith. She enjoys Jesus in in the personal relationship, and she glorifies Jesus with her lifestyle. The foundation of her life is Christ and his word, period. And she doesn't have to add adjectives to who she is as a Christian to have a foundation. She is loves Jesus and he is for her. And through him, she flourishes in this life and in the next. Look at verses 24 and 25. Christ says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them would be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been built on the rock. Notice he didn't say a rock, the rock, and that's Jesus. One church hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the grounds is sinking sand. When darkness veils his, ho- his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. And when, shall, and when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. In him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. Because it's us together, not as individuals. We stand together, and all other grounds is sinking sand. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the rock of ages, the solid rock by which we build our whole life. And thank you that we don't have to beg you to be that for us. It is who you are. You cannot deny yourself. So, Lord, thank you. Go with us today. Be with us in the upcoming week. Help us to know who we are in you as beloved sons and daughters, as beloved kids of a good father. Help us as we navigate this life that is often hard. The journey is hard, but you are with us. We're not creating new footsteps. We're just walking in the footprints you've already left behind. 
we don't go on this journey alone. The Holy Spirit is there with us. And there's also a lot of other Christians with us too. And we're all heading to that same place. To glory. So let us receive comfort. Let us receive strength. Let us receive the encouragement that we need to continue to press in and to press on. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.